I thought I'd turned it off before. I have thoroughly enjoyed this week, and uh, my wife and I have been treated like royalty. The food, the accommodations, the good spirit. And I've, I've really enjoyed being around the Matoro children. They, uh, they have such good attitudes, and uh, one of them just keeps pulling tricks on me all the time. And I'm so naive and trusting. He's always saying, Pastor Randolph, there's something on your tie. And I look down, and he, he always points and flickers my face. And he gets me every time. It's like I've got a small memory I can't remember. And uh, so I'm just thinking he's going to be honest, and there's got to be a spot on my tie. And uh, he's got me at least six or eight times. So you'd think I'd be a little wiser than that, but I'm not. So <laughs> he keeps getting me. And, uh, but I, we have a good time. We laugh. We've had a great time with them. And we have thoroughly enjoyed being here. We're looking forward this week to seeing a little bit more of the city of New York and uh, also visiting Brother Newberger's church there in Greenpoint and uh, next Sunday night preaching. Um, what's the name of the pastor I'm going to next Sunday night? Uh, Franz. Franz, okay. Going there. We're looking forward to that as well. Um, so we've enjoyed this, you know, missions conferences at our church uh, is probably the highlight of our church. We have revivals to a year where we bring in evangelists and we preach a week-long meeting, and yet at the same time, nothing we put more effort into and enjoy more than our worldwide missions conference every January. So we are, we are looking forward to getting back and seeing our own children as well as our grandchildren, and then being able to be a part of a missions conference <clears throat> there at our own church. And then a week later, I'll be preaching a missions conference in the church that Mickey and I, uh, you know, met and got married in, and I was called to the ministry in and ordained in in Tucson. And uh, the Schmutzlers will be there as well. So we're, we're following it. In fact, they're in our conference there in Phoenix that next week there in Tucson. So we're going to be with them two more times, and uh, we're looking forward to that. All right, well, tonight I want us to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter number 26. Matthew, chapter 26. And uh, let's stand as we read this text. It's going to be, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 6. And I, <clears throat> I want to entitle the message tonight, and uh, I want to entitle it, who will be remembered? Who will be remembered? Okay? Some of you will be remembered. And others, not so much. But we want to find out who it is that's really remembered. And this is a very important text. And I think uh, there are principles in here that fits well for what we're trying to do this week in getting the right attitude the right sense of stirring about missions. Uh, you know, preaching on hell this morning was not an easy message because uh, I heard Brother Larry <clears throat> Clayton preach 45 years ago in Holt, Michigan. And uh, he preached uh, on hell. It was the best message I'd ever heard. But you know what it did to me? It made me sad in some ways because I had relatives that I knew were not saved. And it made me realize when I had to think about what they were going through, I didn't want to think about that. You know, we want to, we, our mindset is we want everybody to think like they're all gone to heaven. 
In fact, the world doesn't like to think about hell, so when you attend funerals in the world, they usually preach everybody into heaven. While they're in a better place, doesn't matter if they knew the Lord, they always preach about those kind of things. And the truth of the matter is, not everybody's going to go there, so uh, it's a hard message to preach, but reality is we need to be reminded that it's a real place, and souls are going there. And it ought to stir us to think, man, I wouldn't want my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my neighbor, my boss, or anyone to ever have to go to such a place. And what that ought to do is motivate us to say, man, I'm going to tell them about the Lord. And that's really what missions is all about. Matthew chapter number 26, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he set it meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Now, let me say this to you, that Jesus is not asking us to remember this woman. He's asking us to remember what she did. Her actions was to be a memorial unto her, not her herself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this week, how I personally have been reminded and challenged even through your word in my own life, again, how important missions really is. I'm thankful that there's a gospel-preaching church right here in New York City in the Astoria area where souls can be saved. And, Lord, there's a conservative mindset. They preach from the right Bible. They have the kind of music that honor and glorifies you. And the messages, Lord, that are preached, I'm sure, from this pulpit uh, would tell people the truth about the Bible. And I'm thankful for a family that's been called to come here and do what you call them to do so faithfully. And I'm thankful for a church family that supports them and supports this church and helps them to realize uh, the necessity of trying to be a gospel witness, not just here in the New York area, but around the world. Thank you for this church. Now we ask, Lord, as we get into this text tonight, that you'll show us something that will help us to be maybe just a little bit extraordinary above the average Christian that sits in our churches in America, that we would uh, be remembered after we've gone and been in a church and maybe gone our way, that we'll be remembered, not so much uh, us individually, but for what we were willing to do for the Lord to honor and glorify Him. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm interested in verse number 13 tonight. Because it has a missions emphasis here. Jesus says here, Of a truth, or verily I say unto you, Whether so 
wherever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, wherever you preach this gospel around the whole world, there shall also this, what this woman hath done, be, be told as a memorial unto her. And so I want to speak tonight along this line here. And when I read this passage of Scripture <clears throat> uh, sometime back, <clears throat> I, I see this woman as being a little extraordinary in her actions, even above the disciples that had followed the Lord for a number of years here. And I see that their attitude sometimes can become the attitude of people that sit in our churches. And I, I really want you to believe this, that I'm sure that your pastor, I know when I pastored, that it was my goal to, that every member of our church would, would just go the extra mile and be willing to make uh, sacrifices for the Lord. In other words, I think every pastor wishes that every member would be above the average. He doesn't want members just to be an average Christian. But to rise above the average and be extraordinary in our actions for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because really, what we do, what we give, uh, it should all be for Him, should it not? It's not for ourselves. It's for the Lord's sake. And I think, I think this woman here in this passage of Scripture, uh, the Lord is, is attaching her actions to the uncanny similarity of preaching the gospel and what the gospel encompasses his death, his burial, his resurrection. In other words, uh, the gospel, when we preach it, we let folks know what God did to sacrifice himself and pour out his own life for our sins and give of himself so willingly and so freely and all the things that he was willing to give up to come here to save our souls. Uh, you know, and then she uh, and her actions, what she was willing to sacrifice and to give up. Uh, it, there's a similarity there, and I think what he's trying to say to us that uh, this kind of life, this kind of action that she presents here should emanate from a life that uh, understands what he's done for us. You know, you can't generate uh, someone just to live holy. You can't just generate that. You, you don't just generate somebody says, boy, I'm going to pour out my life for God. You know, those kind of things come about through developing a, a relationship with the Lord. A coming to understand really what Christ has done for us. And when the Holy Spirit develops that kind of walk with God and that relationship with God, it just comes easy to, to want to serve the Lord. It just comes easy to want to be faithful. And really, in a sense, when you find people that are not faithful or they're, they have trouble giving to God or, or they have a difficulty in uh, uh, living a life that's honoring to the Lord, it's really a statement that they haven't yet developed that relationship. Because when you develop that relationship, uh, that's what you want to do. You want to, you want to do everything to please God. You want to do things that, 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 that elevate Him. Several years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to uh, visit some relatives in Canton, Ohio. I'm sure you all from Cleveland have been down to Canton, Ohio. And I don't know how many football, uh, you know, enthusiasts are here uh, tonight. But there in Canton, <clears throat> Ohio, we had the opportunity, and I don't remember if you went, but I went. We went to the National Football Hall of Fame. 
And if you've ever been there, then you know it's a tribute to the players as well as the managers uh, 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 who excelled. They really excelled in their particular field and demonstrated extraordinary performance in the game of football. You don't get into the National Football Hall of Fame by being an average player. It just doesn't happen. It's only those who rise above the extra and, and, and sacrifice more and, uh, and give of themselves and pour out themselves and willing to give up things to, to be the best, to be extraordinary, to, to, to arrive at that place. Now, I understand that when people in football or golf or baseball or, or uh, any other line of sports, they all have their hall of faith or their, their memorials or so forth. In fact, Heartland Baptist Bible College, it has a hall of faithful. We call it the hall of faithful men. If you've ever gone to Heartless Baptist Bible College, you can walk one of the halls around the auditorium, and there are pictures of men, men that have served the Lord for 35, 40, 50, 60 years of ministry that were faithful to God, that God used in an extraordinary way, and, and uh, they were men that set a great example for others to look up to and follow. And so... They kind of memorialize them by putting their picture there, giving the students an opportunity to see uh, that, that it is possible to go the extra mile. It is possible to stay faithful over a long period of ministry. And so we don't, we don't want to memorialize the man so much as much as what, what they, how they use their life for the Lord. That's why they're up there. And it's hard to separate the man from his actions. You can't just stick a bunch of actions in a picture and say, you know, well, who did that? Well, we don't want you to memorialize him. We just want to memorialize his actions. So we have to put the picture there of the person who was willing to go that extra mile and pour out themselves for that. And so we have that hall of faith as well. And there, I don't know of anybody, personally, I don't know of anybody that's doing what they're doing for the Lord so they can get their picture on a wall, you know. I, I tell this story, but when I stepped down from being the pastor there at Cornerstone for the nearly 36 years that we were there, I told my wife, I said, man, I hope they don't, I hope they don't stick my picture in the foyer or me and you in the foyer. I want the, I want, it was the Lord that built this church. You know, he just used us. And so, of course, John, my son-in-law, I gave him a big sword on the day I stepped down. And I gave him a staff, and I said, both of these tools uh, will help you to pastor the church. <laughs> and it doesn't mean he's going to cut off heads. Uh, it, it just meant that the sword was a picture of the sword of the Lord, the, the Word of God. That you need to preach the Word of God. There's where the power is. And I gave him the staff to help guide the sheep along and so forth. Well, they gave us a gift for our 36 years of being there. And, and, uh, and then John said, we also have a picture of you and your wife. And we'd like to stick it in the foyer. <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't want to stand there and say, no, you're not going to do that. I didn't want to throw a wet blanket on them. They were just being appreciative. But I did think, well, maybe if you did do that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a big picture. Have you ever gone into the foyer of some churches and they got a picture of the founding pastor and his wife and uh, the heads are this big and it's like, you know, it's the centerpiece? And nothing wrong with that. I, if you know of churches that do that, that's fine. But anyway, uh, they got us, got us a picture. It's about that big, and our picture is about this big inside the 
foyer. And I told him, I said, John, if you're going to put it in the foyer, go down the hall and around the, the drinking fountain. There's a spot down there that people don't go to that much. And just hang it there. And uh, he goes, no, we're not going to do that. I said, John, I don't want people to come in and say, well, who's he? Like, I got my name on a picture. I'm hanging in the foyer. You know, I didn't want, I, I, what, we, what we tried to do through the grace of God was for his glory, not for ours. So they stuck it in the foyer. It's, it's in a corner somewhere, and I'm good with that. I'm fine. Uh, they didn't put any big plaques or anything like that. So people walk in, probably don't even know who in the world those two people are. And that's good. I want, I want the Lord to get the glory. Don't you? In what you do for him so that he receives it all. And so we, we wanna, we, we work to try to be a little extraordinary in our lives and so forth above the average. And as I thought about, I thought about this church. I thought about Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And I, and I, I thought about this. I'm sure there are people that have come through over the years that this church was planted. The number of years that the Montoro family has been here, I'm sure there's people that have come and there are people that have gone that have left their mark, that have been a blessing. You remember them because they, they, they provided extraordinary actions and, and they were willing to pour out and spend and be spent for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we appreciate people like that. And we, those are the ones that we remember. Then I thought this. There's probably people that have come through this church, like people have come through ours, that uh, didn't leave much of a mark. They were just an average Christian. Set in the pew, consumed the message. And by the way, that's kind of the culture and world we live in today. People come to churches not so much to serve, but to be served. People come not so much to minister, but to be ministered to. Uh, Jesus, when He came, He did not come to, to be ministered to, but to minister and give His life as a ransom for many, the Bible said. So Jesus said, I came to be a servant and to pour out my life and spend and be spent and to sacrifice myself. And really, that's the mindset that God's trying to get us to in our Christian life. Not that we're just saved and our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and, hey, we get to go to heaven. But God's trying to get us to a place to where we so much appreciate what He was willing to pour out and what He was willing to give that it it, it begins to come onto us to say, that's the kind of life... That God wants for me. We're to follow His example. We should want to give ourselves freely. We should want to give our money freely. We should want to serve. We should never be one that comes into the church to be a consumer, but a contributor. We're not here to be spectators. We're here to be participants. We come in to participate. You know what happens when you just sit in the pew and you consume and you spectate? You, you watch everybody else do everything? You become critical. You ever, have you ever gone to a ball game and sat in the grandstands and watched a game and, and as a spectator and you're not a player? And what are you doing? You're, you're going, why don't he pull him out of the game? He, if I was coaching, I'd pull that guy out, you know. You know, because we, it's a lot easier to find fault with when you're watching. But I'm telling you, if you'd get on the field and play the game, you'd find out why they're doing what they're doing. Some of you need to get out of the pew. And get into the, get into the music of this church. Some of you need to get out of the pew and help usher. Some of you need to get out of the pew and be a participant and serve and pour yourself out. Why? Why am I doing it? You're doing it for Him because the Lord poured Himself out for you. Now, when we look at this woman here in this passage of scripture and we take a look at the, uh, her, her willingness to pour out herself, 
Jesus said, listen, I want that wherever the gospel's preached, I want it to also be told what this woman hath done as a memorial unto her. The idea is there, I want her to be remembered, not her, but her actions and what she did for me. I want that to be remembered. I want that to be uh, the, the idea. You see, in the, in, the, in the age and the culture in which we live, it seems that the prevailing attitude is to do the least possible rather than the most. You know, if we can get away with not expending that much and we can get something for free and, and we don't have to exert that much uh, energy and, and that much money and that much, uh, you know, of ourselves, why, that's the prevailing attitude of the world. You know what's sad? Sometimes the reason I think that we it's hard to get Christians to pour out themselves and to give freely is because the world's prevailing attitude of saying, I, I, I'm not going to do that much, that attitude some kind, sometimes could come into the church to where we don't feel like we want to give that much. But listen, we ought to. It ought, it ought to emanate from a life that's walked with the Lord and recognizes what He's done for you. So I want us to look at some things here tonight real quickly and look at verse number 6 and 7 in Matthew chapter 6. It says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now the town of Bethany was about three furlongs from Jerusalem. If you were to, you can't do it today because the eastern gate is closed up. But back in the day of Christ, you could walk through the eastern gate and right out the eastern gate was the Mount of Olives and really Golgotha. And you would have to come down through uh, there where the sepulchers were at. And you would cross the Kidron River that's right outside the eastern gate that flows around the city of Jerusalem. You'd cross that, that Kidron River. You would enter Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. And if you stayed on that road... It would lead you to Bethage, and then it would lead you to Bethany. And out of Bethany, it would, the road would head towards Jericho and over towards the, Jer- the Jordan River, where Jews would often follow that, that path rather than going through Samaria because they didn't want to be a part of the half-breed Jews and Gentiles that they felt would defile them. So the, the Jericho Road, they called it, was traveled very, very much. And you almost, to get from Galilee, you'd come down the eastern side of the Jordan, cross over where Jericho was at, and go over towards Bethany and down the Mount of Olives and on into the eastern gate of Jerusalem for their festives uh, days and, and their Passovers and so forth. And so Jesus is now coming, uh, and he's, he's come, uh, it says here, when Jesus was in Bethany, so he's in this little town, and we know from the, the rest of the Bible that there were People in there that, that had come to know Christ as their Savior. Simon, who was evidently once a leper, he's not a leper right now, or he would have been in a leper colony, separated outside the camp of Israel. But evidently he had been healed of his leprosy, and, and so he's holding a meal in, uh, in his home, and uh, this woman is there. Look at verse number 7. There came unto him a woman. Now, I, I got to thinking about this. Who was this woman? Well, John chapter 11 and verse number 2, you don't need to turn there, but it tells us that it was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' sister. It was that Mary. Now, the commentators will tell you that it was Mary of Magdalene, but the Bible is the commentation on its own, on the Word of God. And all you got to do is look at 
in John chapter 11, verse number 2, and the Bible will even say it was that Mary who broke the alabaster box who was Mary and Martha's sister. Or, I mean, sorry, Lazarus and Martha's sister. So we know who the woman was. It was that particular woman. And, and, uh, and then in, in John chapter 11, verse number 5, it tells us uh, something else. This woman was a recipient of Jesus' love. The Bible says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them. And they realized He loved them. And so uh, we find here that this woman who no doubt recognized and was appreciative of Jesus' love and willingness to come and be poured out and sacrificed for Him is this woman Mary. So if you're putting down any thoughts tonight, what would have motivated this Mary, this woman who was of Bethany, where Jesus would often stop and fellowship with this family, what would motivate her at this particular time, which Bible says in the Gospel of John happened to be about six days before the, the Passover or six days before Passion Week when Jesus would be crucified. So it's at the end of his, his three and a half year ministry. He's down to about one week before he's going to go to Calvary. And he's in Simon the leper's house. What would motivate this woman to come and do what she did unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I want to suggest to you that the motivation for her to produce this action uh, was, was because she had a recognition of being the recipient of Jesus' own love and sacrifice. Now, I don't pretend to understand all that's involved in the sovereignty of God. I'm certainly not a Calvinist. I believe Jesus is no respecter of persons. And I believe that Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I believe that He died as a ransom for all. I believe that when He held out His hands on Calvary, He was inviting the whole world, as I said the other night, anybody can come to Him and be saved. So the Calvinist believes that God just elected a few and elected others to go to hell. That's not the God of my Bible. My Bible says that God so loved the whole world. He loved the world. So God, is, God is, uh, is inviting all to come. Somewhere in, in the Bible, somewhere in the time, even though that we have an, a, a completed revelation, we don't have an exhaustive account of every detail and things that happened because you couldn't contain them all in the, all the books of the world. So we have just what God inspired for us to have, and it's a completed. There's no extra biblical revelation. But we, we know that Mary knew the Lord. We don't know when she got saved. We don't know uh, how she came to know the Lord's her Savior. But she came to know the Lord's her Savior. And she loved the Lord. And her actions of coming and willing to be poured out, I believe, was motivated out of the sense that she had spent time with the Lord. Now, listen, you remember over, uh, I believe it's in John or Luke chapter 10, you remember when Jesus came by one day and Mary and Martha was working in the house and, and uh, he entered into their home and the Bible says that Mary stopped what she was doing and sat down at the feet of Jesus and learned at his feet and he talked to her and communed with her and her sister Martha came in being very critical and saying things like, uh, why don't you care that my sister sits here uh, and listens to you, and I'm just paraphrasing, while I do all the work, tell her to get up and come over here and vacuum the carpet and help me make the food and help me make the bed and mow the grass or whatever it is that she had to be done. 
you know, we don't have time to listen to you. I mean, her attitude, Martha's attitude is, she was the, she was the worker, Mary was the worshiper. And I, I've often said, you need to find a balance between your work and your worship. You know, you need to, you need, you need worship in order to carry out your work. It, it's the spiritual that sustains the physical. It's not the physical that sustains the spiritual. And so Mary sits at his feet. And can't you just know that the Lord talked to Mary about things that Martha could have gotten in on, but she didn't? Don't you think that he explained to her about why he came and, and why he was willing to pour himself out? And just through her sitting at his feet and building that relationship, she came to appreciate the love that he was willing to give so freely uh, for the world and for her. And so when it comes time to give something to him, it's going to easily come from one who understands and appreciates the love of God that he's shown to us. And I thought to myself, maybe that's the reason uh, today why there's this attitude of not wanting to pour out ourselves and not willing to be spent. Could it be because we have forgotten what he's done for us? Could it be that we don't appreciate or think about all that he's done to sacrifice himself for our behalf and what he's done to save us. And so uh, we were told in the Bible that Mary sat at his feet and, and developed that relationship with him. And so now she comes and she's willing to pour out herself and break her alabaster box. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to be extraordinary in the church, not so that you can have your picture on a wall, or so that you can be, uh, you know, memorialized for who you are. But if you're going, but if what you do for the Lord is ever to be remembered, you're going to have to, you're going to have to every day appreciate and think about what He's done for you. And when you think on that, it's easy to do things for Him. And when we forget about all that He's done, and then we're asked to do something. Why it's not as easy to do it because our mindset is uh, we're not we're not remembering all that he's done. I believe that the first the the very first reason that she was willing to come on this this uh, evening where he's sitting in this house and she brings her alabaster box and isn't it interesting that she didn't she came with a premeditation of doing this. She didn't get there to the meal and say, oh, you know what? I want to do something for the Lord. She runs back home and gets the alabaster box. That's not how it worked. She knew she was going to be in Simon the leper's house that night. And she brought her alabaster box with her with the intent that when she got there, she would pour it out on him. I think that's the attitude we need to have when we come to church. It's that we have our offerings already made out with the intent that this is what I'm going to give. Not, oh, oh man, I need to run home, get my offering, come back and get it. would be too late to give it. So she came already prepared to give herself. She already came prepared to do something above the ordinary. Then there was a second thought I had here, and that is uh, this, this attitude that she had towards the Lord uh, was motivated, secondly, because she placed a greater value on Jesus and his ministry than she did her alabaster box of precious ointment. I think she placed more value on him than she did the box. You say, oh, come on, Pastor Randolph. She brought a little box of alaba- or, 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 an alabaster box of ointment. How, how valuable could that have been? 
how much of a sacrifice was that? You're making a big deal out of a little alabaster box. Really? I'm going to tell you, that alabaster box was valuable. In fact, the Bible says it was worth 300 penny worth. And that means that it was worth almost a year's wages. Back then, they paid people a penny a day. So 300 penny worth would have been almost a year's wages. If you put that in to our time, I looked it up on the Internet. I was trying to get the average medium household income in America. Now, it varies. You folks on the eastern seaboard make more money, or at least the medium household income is higher in Boston and New York and Connecticut and Maryland and all of that. It's the highest in the country. Then there's places down in Mississippi and places like that that's the lowest in the country. So it gave, it took all of those together and it brought it out that the average household medium income in America averages between 40,000 and 50,000 a year. That's the average. Probably closer to the $40,000 a year. And probably what boosted that was the Eastern Seaboard that made so much more because I think theirs was in the 60 some thousand range per year. Uh, on an average, and some higher, and then it brought the lowers up. So think about this for a minute. She brings an alabaster box that's worth a year's wages. Let me ask you a question. Would you bring something worth $40,000 and give it to the Lord through the church? Pour it out for Him? (laughs) $40,000? No way. That's because you value the alabaster box, and the value of that money more than you value Him. You see, I believe with all my heart that you'll arrive at a time in your life if you give yourself to the Lord and you build a relationship with Him that there's nothing that you wouldn't be willing to give for the Lord. When you compare what He gave up for you, what He left was heaven. He left the fellowship of His Father. He left His throne. He came down to this earth, took on the form of a man and a servant, humbled himself, stood before his own creation and let his own creation humiliate him, reject him, spit upon him, kill him, crucify him. I mean, he was willing to do that all for us. That's a whole lot more than $40,000. Gave his life. Would you give your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? He gave his life for you. He poured himself out for us. Mary came to realize, this is what He did for me. So giving my alabaster box is not as important to me as He's important to me. You say, well, how do you know that that was more invaluable to her? Well, because we know the alabaster box was important and valuable to the other disciples. If you read the text, the Bible says that they had the other disciples had indignation. In fact, in one account, it was this indignation was led by Judas. Not in this account, but in another synoptic gospel, Judas is the one that spoke up and said, What a waste! You poured out this, this very expensive, uh, you know, like a year's wages, and you poured it out on him. What a waste! That's what it says. Read the text. They thought it was a waste. And here's what my thought was. I can understand the world thinking that whatever we do for the Lord would be a waste because they're not saved. But this wasn't the world. These were His disciples. These are the ones that had been converted. 
These are the ones that had followed him for three and a half years and saw his miracles and understood and set at his feet on the hillsides and listened to him teach. And then when it comes down to giving, here's a woman comes to the meal that night. She brings in this alabaster box of very precious ointment. And she breaks the box open and she pours it over his head and she gets down on her face. And I, when I read this text, it almost breaks my own heart to think that the kind of love and appreciation that she had. But she gets down and she takes the, the ointment and she begins to wash his feet with her own hair. She's just anointing him and, and, and adoring him and pouring out herself and pouring out her ointment on him. And they're all standing there watching her do this. And, and Judas says, man, what a waste you just wasted. Do you know that we could have sold that box of ointment for 300 penny worth and had given it to the poor? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, hey, 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 bozo. You always had the poor with you. Me, you're not going to have always. But you know what it tells me? It tells me that the disciples and Judas placed more value on the ointment than they did on the one that was being poured out on. She placed more value upon the Lord Jesus Christ than she did her own ointment. She was willing to come. And I think what the Lord is saying to us is that when we serve the Lord, if you want to be remembered, if you want people to remember you, then they're going to remember you based upon what you do or you don't do because it's what you do or you don't do that makes you remembered. If you just come and sit and you don't pour out, you don't give and you don't sign up for things and you don't get involved, you'll never leave your mark. You'll come through a church and you'll just be what? The average Christian in, in most churches, that's the way an average Christian uh, comes to church. But thank God for the people that are of this church. I think this church, after just being here a week, has got a percentage of people that rise above the average. Not just a good family that, that, that ministers here, but many good members. My wife and I have met them. Servants. People that are willing to give. People that are willing to come, jump in and help and do it. Why? So they can get a name for themselves and they can be remembered? No. They're doing it for the Lord. They do it for Him. That's the attitude that God wants us to have. Because that's the attitude of the gospel. That's why the Lord says that He poured Himself out. And so everywhere you preach this gospel, where it tells people how much I sacrificed myself for the world, then I want it to be told what this woman has done unto me as well. Because it's the right attitude to have. It's the goal that we ought to set for ourselves. So really, when you think about it, she was motivated by at least two things. One, she was motivated... First of all, because to do this, because she recognized that she was the recipient herself of the love and the sacrifice of Jesus. And she did it secondly, because she didn't place as much value on the ointment as she did upon the Lord. And when you value the Lord more than you do your things, some of you won't give because you place more value on keeping your possessions than you do giving them up for the Lord. Thirdly, real quickly, Mary's action was motivated because she perceived also that her opportunities to do this, something special for Christ, was soon going to be gone. If you look here in the passage, in verse number 11, what does he say? For you have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. 
She brings the alabaster box six days before he's going to be killed on Calvary and buried in a tomb so she can do something that shows him how much I love and appreciate what you've done for me. So she comes beforehand. The Bible says she brought, she brought this aforehand, meaning before it was really necessary to anoint, because you only anoint a body after it's dead. You don't anoint a body that isn't dead yet. But Mary wanted to do this while he was still living. She wanted to take the opportunity to do it while she still had time to do it. You say, well, why didn't she do it at any other time? Well, if you'll read in the Bible and two chapters over after he has been placed into the tomb, isn't it, doesn't it tell us that there was other women that had on the day of preparation before the Sabbath that they went out and they bought spices and ointments? And they saved them until after the Sabbath was over on that Saturday. And then on Sunday morning, these women, it says, came to the tomb. And what were they coming to do? They were coming to anoint his body. That's what the Bible says. And when they get there, the, the stone's already been rolled away. And the angel said, whom seek ye? Why seek ye the living amongst the dead? And I can see them standing there holding all these precious ointments. But they waited until it was too late. And now they can't anoint his body because he's now alive again. And he's already resurrected. And he's already gone. You know what my thought was here? If you're going to do something for God, you've got to do it while the opportunity get, prevails to be able to do it. If you're going to sing in a choir, you've got to do it now. If you're going to be an usher, you've got to do it now. If you're going to get to missions, you've got to do it now. If you're going to serve God, you've got to do it now. Because the opportunity is going to be at a point where... The rapture is going to take place and then you're going to say, man, I wish now I would have done that. I can imagine that when she poured out her alabaster box six days before he was to go to Calvary, they were all sitting there going, what is she doing? Well, she's showing her expression of love and appreciation and how much she valued him. And Lord, I want to do something that you recognize that pleases you. She wanted to please the Lord by this action. So she brings this alabaster box and she pours it out on his feet. And I just, I can just, I, I, when I'm, I, I mentally try to think of a passage, I try to put myself there. But I, I just bet you she's crying. I bet out of just love and adoration, she's weeping, knowing that her Savior uh, that, that came here to give of himself so long-suffering and compassionate that, that the world would treat him this way. And so she's anointing him for his death. And he's he and they're standing there saying, "What a waste!" Of course, Judas was a treasurer of the bunch, and the Bible says that guy was nothing but a thief. He would have loved to had him sold it, put the money in the bag, so then he'd be able to steal out of the bag like he'd been stealing out of the bag before. That's what lost people do. He was the only one out of the whole bunch that was lost. He never did get saved. But it just bothered me when I saw the attitude of the other disciples following his attitude and saying, yeah, what a waste. Is it a waste to serve God? Is it a waste to come to church? Is it a waste to give an offering? Is it a waste to sign up and say, hey, I want to give more for the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not a waste. He deserves that. He's worthy of that. He's worthy of our giving. He's worthy of our service. And then just last of all, she wanted to do it to please the Lord. She didn't want to do it to please herself. She didn't want to do it to get a bronze head or a picture on a wall. She was, she, 
she, to me, when I read the passage, I just see the life of a Christian woman who rised above the average Christian's attitude, who was willing to spend and be spent and be expendable to give of herself and pour out herself for the Lord Jesus Christ, to do it all for Him, not for herself. I don't think she came in and said, if I break this alabaster box, I just know they're going to put a picture of me in the foyer. She can come in here and say, I know if I give this, everybody will see me doing it, and they'll say, wow, wow, what merit. She never came with that attitude at all. This was all done out of a very humble, sacrificial life. It was all being done for him, not for her. And yet the Lord said, this woman, what she did for me is to be remembered throughout all the ages. This is to be remembered. When I read that, I thought, Lord, I want to be that kind of a Christian. I want to be one that gives to missions. I want to be one that gives my tithes. I want to be one that goes soul winning. I want to be one that's willing to sacrifice some things out here in the world to give up things that the world... Uh, you know, folks, a lot, a lot of times people don't come to church because they value things that are out in the world. Games and sports for their children and so on. I'm not against sports. I'm just simply saying that a lot of times we put a lot of value on things that have really no eternal value to them. And when we're all said and done and we look back on the way we raised our family, there's many that will stand there and say, Man, now I wish that I'd had my kids more in church. I wish now I would have done more for the Lord. In fact, I said this morning, the moment that you die, one second after you're dead, and you see the Lord sitting on the throne, that's when you're going to say this, Man, I wish I would have served Him more. I wish I'd have given Him more. I wish that I'd been more faithful to His church. I, I, I wish that I had given the missions more. One second after you're there in heaven, that's when you're going to say, I wish I could do it now. But you can't do it now. But you can do it now because you haven't died yet. You haven't been raptured yet. You could, like Mary, give and pour out and be broken for Him while you have the opportunity to do it. While He can see you do it. So He can bless you for it. So that you can exalt Him. Everything we do in our Christian life is all to lift Him up, glorify, exalt our Savior. And when, we, when a person sees our life, they ought to see a life of somebody that loves and appreciates what Jesus has done for them. They ought to see a life that places more value upon Him and His ministry than they do everything else that the world places value upon. When, we, when they see somebody else doing it now, they, they see people that are grasping the opportunity to do it while they can. Hey, you have an opportunity right now to say, I'm going to give more this year for missions. You can do it. You can do it now. And I can't generate that. That has to come from somebody that loves him and appreciates him and values him. Are you that kind of a Christian? Let me ask you this in closing. To be dead honest, really now, just to be dead honest, <clears throat> if we were to have to fill out a card, we don't, but if we had to fill out a card to evaluate ourselves, and it said, extraordinary Christian, average Christian, and you had to be honest, knowing that the Lord knows your life, He knows how faithful you are, He knows what you give, He knows what you're willing to spend and pour out for Him. To be dead honest, which one would you have to check? That you're just an average Christian 
or I'm an extraordinary Christian. If the Lord looks down and sees how much you're willing to give up for Him, He'd place you on the extraordinary list. But if you just sit in the pew and do nothing and just consume and take it in, which most Christians do, we'd have to mark, I'm just an average Christian. And when people look at your life, they don't really see the Lord because they don't see a person who's willing to pour out for Him. You see, when somebody is faithful to church, and when somebody gives and someone's soul wins, the world sees that. And they'll say this, why do you pour so much of your time? Why do you give so much of your money? Why do you give so much of your effort to your church and to the Lord? Why do you do that? Because He loved me. He saved me. I get to go to heaven. He abides with me every day. He gives me His precious Word. I want to I do all I can while I have the opportunity to do it. Because there will come a day when your health won't allow you to do it. There will come a day when your age won't allow you to do it. There may come a day when the time's not going to allow you to do it. Right now, you have your health, your time, and he wants to be able to say, everywhere the gospel's preached, I want it to be told what this Christian did for me. I want to be on the same level as a Mary, not on the same level as the disciples that said, what a waste. I'm not wasting my time tonight, folks. You're not wasting your time. We're here because of him. And the people that don't quite understand and appreciate that can find reasons to say, I had other things to do at home. And I realize that there are some here tonight that would love to be here who had to work tonight, or they would be here, or some that may be sick. But I just wonder how many are sitting home tonight that didn't have to work, that aren't sick, that didn't care whether they came back on a Sunday night to hear from the Lord. Average Christian or extraordinary? Which is it? You evaluate yourself. I have chosen that I'm going to sacrifice and give up and pour out so that I can be a little extraordinary. Not so they can put my picture on a wall, but so that they can see Jesus through me. I want you to bow your heads tonight. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Let's stand quiet.